Um, if you've been around for a few weeks, you know we were up at this series called Red Letter Day. We felt compelled to start with communion this morning. I don't know if anybody, uh, some of y'all may have missed communion already this morning, and I kind of feel like that's how Easter is sometimes, right? If you read the Eastern narrative, the disciples seem to miss it. And, and I think sometimes we, we kind of expect it, and it's the seasonal thing, it's the annual thing, and we go, okay, we know it's coming, and then let's just all, everybody stay in your lane and do the thing in the right time. But, you know, you think about the way it happened so quickly, so quickly that Jesus had that last uh, supper with his disciples. Before that, you know, then was betrayed and then gave his life on the cross and was in the tomb for three days until he was raised to new life by the grace, the power, the glory of God. Amen? I mean, what an awesome story. And so we're coming right out of this series called Red Letter Day to this series called Easter People, where we're going to take a look at the, the story of Easter through real people's eyes. You know, because sometimes I think we have a tendency to read the scriptures and go, well, they're not like us at all, right? But these disciples, these apostles, these believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, were just like us with all the same reactions and responses and experiences. And we have a tendency to kind of put them up and they go, well, they must have behave better. Not necessarily, right? If you read your Bible, you know that's not necessarily true. Or um, they, they might have the same, uh, ha- they don't have the problems we have. Not true. Not true. Have you ever wondered what it was actually like that first Easter morning? You know, this morning, we got up this morning for the sunrise service at 6.30 a.m. It was awesome, wasn't it? For those who were there, yeah, it was great. And we got to worship uh, Jesus and I was reminded this morning of the, the verse, we're going to cover it later, from John. It says, it was early on the first day of the week while it was yet dark, right? That the people of God are responding to what God has done in different ways in the Easter story. And so we got to get up this morning and, and worship God together at a sunrise service, remembering that today is different. Why did I bring this up? Because today is our Easter Like we remember it every year, but again, today is our Easter Sunday. This is the day that Christ defeated death. We just sang the words, overcame the grave, and taught his disciples that he is more powerful than we could ever have imagined, ever have hoped for. And so today is our Easter to proclaim yet again the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Before we get into the word, the scripture says what? If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and if you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Isn't that interesting? If you believe in your heart, yeah, we got that, we got that, and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead. Is that what it goes? Is it backwards? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Isn't it interesting that, that God ties in the resurrection as an imperative to faith in Christ? Well, you might find it hard to believe, and today we're going to take a look at the life of Mary Magdalene and how Easter brings us a chance to hope again beyond all we could ever imagine. So I'm going to invite you to do what we always do. We're going to pray that God would give us wisdom from his word today as we worship him together. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for a chance to join together with brothers and sisters here at Family Bible Church, um, in the community at large, and all across the world as we remember again this great resurrection story, this great reality that you overcame death, the very curse of death from the beginning of time in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in that, we claim and profess with our mouth and believe with our hearts 
And today, Father, I pray that we would have new insights, fresh insights into resurrection power and how that works in our lives practically. What does it look like today, Father? Would you teach us that? We claim no wisdom of our own. Apart from your word, we are lost and hopeless in the wisdom department. We have nothing to add. But, Father, you can add abundantly more than we can imagine. Would you teach us? Your word says that you will send your counselor, the spirit, to be our teacher, that no one need instructive. Would you teach us, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit today, that we would listen and learn and grow. We pray you would do this for your glory and our good. And we pray it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and open your, grab a Bible and open it to Mark chapter 16. This is going to be a familiar passage of Scripture, and we're going to start here. Um, but we're going to look at the story of, of um, uh, Mary Magdalene today. And I want to really d- focus on her, but we're going to spend a few verses here in Mark 16, 1 through 4. This is what the Word says. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, after the sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked one another, who will roll away the the stone at the entrance of the tomb? Verse 4, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled Away. And I want to stop right there. We're going to just stop right there and mark and talk about these verses. Um, we have the, the Sabbath rest is over. And if you don't know, we know the story of the death of Christ on the cross and that they took his body down hurriedly because Sabbath was starting and they r- rushed him into the tomb and then they uh, waited. Why? Because they're being obedient to God. They're going to ab- abide by the Sabbath even though their rabbi, their teacher had been killed. They're going to be faithful to God. And so this word starts here in in the Gospel of Mark with um, when the day of Sabbath rest was over. And what does that mean? That means as soon as possible, as soon as Sabbath was over, we hear this story. There are three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, who are bringing spices that they might anoint Jesus' body. Um, what's going on with them wanting to anoint his body, right? Like, that's such a, a strange thing to do on Resurrection Sunday. I mean, they don't know it yet, but that's, a, that's an interesting. It was, it was such a rush deal. They, were, they weren't prepared. They didn't have time to do what they wanted to do to adorn, to adore, to um, bless, hear the word, Jesus' body. What does it mean when it says that they're going to anoint him with spices. They brought oil and spices to anoint him. The, 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 uh, the word means literally to rub or smear olive oil and spices. The word spices is aromato. It means aroma, right? Like even in his death, these, hear the word, faithful women want to go and care for Jesus, So they bring spices to the tomb, right? But their intention is to to do a weird thing. Their intention is to touch his body. You ever been to a funeral? It's kind of a strange thing. People aren't always comfortable. But these women show up with an intent. What else is going on here? There was this habit in the Jewish culture that when you receive a guest into your home, you'd anoint their face with oil for comfort. 
It had been a long journey. You would, you remember the story, you would anoint their feet. You would, you would bless their feet for the journey. You know, they'd thank God you're here. And these women on Resurrection Sunday, well, they're going to the tomb, and, and they're going to bless Jesus' body. They're going to anoint him with this healing salve, this hope, this desire that he might be what? Honored. That's the other reason you would anoint someone, to show them honor and respect and adoration. Someone's at your table, you would anoint them to bless them. Well, they came very early that first day of the week to the tomb, the sun having risen. You see, these women hadn't just gone through any ordinary Sabbath rest. I told you that one of the funny things about the story is that the disciples aren't quite ready, and it seems to me that these women aren't quite ready. They were cut short. They didn't get to do what they wanted to do with Jesus before, when he died. They didn't get to take the time to grieve and mourn the way they hoped to. And can you imagine now the disciples, after Jesus' body is in the tomb, have to all go back to their homes, close the windows, not light any fires, not do any work, but wait and rest. The day of Sabbath having passed. I believe in the reading of the scripture, and you can disagree with me if you would like to, and I'd love to have a conversation, but it was for them a dark night of the soul. I mean, why are these women going to the tomb on Easter morning? <laughs> because they love Jesus. <laughs> they can't believe what's happened, but they've been stopped short from actually showing the grief and showing that whatever had emotions they were experiencing, and so here they've waited in this dark night. I wonder, have you ever had a dark night of your soul? I, I remember in my own life, one time in particular, where I, had, I could do nothing and I had to wait three days and I couldn't sleep. And I was just waiting, waiting for the opportunity to take some action. Well, these women of, of faith, they show up, and I, I want to say something about that before we get into anything else. If you've ever had a dark night of the soul, what do you do at the first opportunity? And I will tell you what these women do. They let their light shine, you know? I want to point this out a couple times this morning, but these women, the first thing, while it was yet dark, St. John, when the sun had risen here in the Gospel of Mark, they head straight for the tomb because the reality is that in darkness, your light shines the brightest. Dale, a couple weeks ago, shared with us before service that darkness is actually defined not by what it is, but by what it's not. There's no light there. Do you know why? Because any amount of light will change the darkness. Darkness can only be absolute when there's no light at all. And in darkness, your light shines the brightest. These women give a good testimony of what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Jesus. On the darkest day, they drag themselves out of bed, they grab the equipment, and they head for the door. These women, despite all they had encountered, carried their own light into the darkness, into the grief, into the mourning, into the lament. No matter what was going to happen, they were going to show the world how much they love Jesus, why would, why would, I, why would I say that? Because they had a mission to accomplish. They were on a mission from God. I'm going to be a little 
unkind to the disciples here because I wonder, the apostles, where are they? The disciples, where are they? Where are the 11? We know where one is. Where are the others? What is going on that these women are heading to the tomb as soon as they can? In spite, by the way, of their grief, in spite of their mourning, in spite of the lamenting, in spite of the whatever weirdness they're going to experience, you know, I've heard it said before that like 99% of success is showing up, and these women are going to show up. And not only that, I want you to see their concern. On the way, they're so determined to do what they're going to do, they know he's been locked in a tomb. They're like, who's going to move the stone? <laughs> who's going to do it? Do you know why? Because they got stuff to get done. They have a mission at hand, and they have come... I just want us to think, now it's not the story of history, but what witness would it have been if they had shown up and just adorned, anointed his body, shown him honor and glory that he deserved? Well, that was their plan. That was their plan, and they were letting their light shine. But check this out. The word says this, having looked up, they see the stone has been rolled away because it's an extremely large stone. And this means a couple things to me. It's like, first of all, they look up. They're talking about how we're going to move the stone. They look up and it's gone. But also, it was a big stone. They could see from a pretty far off. The stone's not there. What's going on? I want to know this morning, where does such determination, such conviction, and such intention come from? In our own lives, whenever we have a dark night of the soul, where do we get motivation like that? like these women? Or maybe something else we could ask is, where do these women come from? Well, today I wanna, we're gonna stop there and I want you to uh, turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter eight. We're gonna hear a little bit of the backstory because I, I was curious, like, well, well, what, you know, where does Mary uh, Magdalene come from? And, and by the way, I'll confess here in a moment how wrong I had this, but, Verse, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. This is what the word says. After this, after what? Ha- kind of halfway through Jesus' ministry. <laughs> like after he called disciples and he'd done a bunch of stuff, you know, he'd done some miracles and was really wowing people. After those things, and before he sent the disciples out, by the way, it comes next, Jesus traveled about, uh, from, about from town to town and village to village, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And do, do you know what the good news of the kingdom of God was that Jesus was proclaiming? That it's right here. That it's nearer than you think. That God has not left you or abandoned you, and he is closer than you can imagine The proclamation of the kingdom of God was Jesus proclaiming the truth about himself in cryptic ways, for sure, but referring to himself as the promised Messiah. He's talking to people as close as he could whisper in their ear, right? He could greet them on the street, and he would say to them, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is now. He's manifesting the... the, uh, the, um, the prophecies about himself. As a matter of fact, you'll recall that the first thing he reads in the synagogue, he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, proclaiming that he is the Christ. So Jesus is there then going from town to town, village to village, proclaiming the kingdom of God, which is himself, essentially. The 12 were with him. Now listen to the word here in verse two. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. 
Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna, or Salome, and many others. These women were hoping to support them, or helping to support them out of their own means. So a couple things were happening. You got the disciples who were with Jesus, right? But this is the backstory, by the way, right? We flashed back to this ministry moment. But you have these women, and there are three who are named, but I want to point out there are many others as well who are with them. And what's the word say about these women? Because I asked the question, what motivates behavior like that? It says that they have been cured of evil spirits and diseases. They have been uh, healed. The word cured, you know this already, is therapos, the th- therapy. They've been, they've been given a, a, a curative remedy by Jesus of the evil spirits that have possessed them and of diseases. Now, I want to just spend a minute gently talking about disease because disease means weakness. See, we often think about disease meaning, um, you know, a particular virus we contract or whatever, but it means a general state of weakness, that your body can't do what it ought to do. It actually is defined by its lack of strength. (laughs) So the way you're born, listen, is to be strong. That's how we're designed, to be strong. But in this world of evil spirits and disease, we become weak, we become frail. And these women had been made strong by Jesus, strong women. I, I, I'm making much of this because I want to know how they end up going to the tomb first <laughs> on Easter morning. Okay, those are the general women. By the way, it does say this, certain women were there, and that doesn't mean that all women were there, but specific women were there. I want you to know that today, no matter what you struggle with in your life or what you continue to struggle with in your life, that God knows you specifically. It says certain women, specific women, were there with Jesus. God knows your struggles, and God knows you by name. It's funny that these women get named in the scripture here. What else I love about this is this is one of those passages we can read over and never look at. Okay, moving on to the other stuff that Jesus does. Let's dial in a little bit here. Who is... Mary Magdalene, or if you're in the superhero stories, what's her origin story? <laughs> well, this is Mary Magdalene's origin story. This is the closest thing we get to hearing the backstory of who Mary is and why she's the one who continues to follow Jesus throughout his ministry. Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, and then uh, goes on Joanna, um, the wife of Cusa, and um, uh, Solome or Suzanne. I'm not sure what the difference is there. I studied, it says Solome. I'm going with Solome. Who's Mary Magdalene? The first thing I want you to know about Mary Magdalene is that Magdalene is not Mary's last name. <laughs> Just like Nazarene is not Jesus' last name, nor is Christ, right? He is the Messiah. He is from Nazareth. Well, Mary's from a place called Magdala. And Magdala is a, um, is on the coast of Galilee. It's a little bit, I think, uh, north northwest of uh, Tiberias or something. But it's a port city. As a matter of fact, what's interesting about uh, Magdala is it was known as the Tower of Fish. And and uh, some would say, well, it's a Tower of Fish because there's a tower there and there's a bunch of fishermen and village, you know, so it becomes a Tower of Fish. But it also is known to be historically an industrial fish processing center. Like, it's like the spot you go. 
And actually, in digging into this a little bit, they've done some recent uh, archaeology, and they found that there were actually two synagogues in Magdala, which is very rare. I think it's the only place in Israel that's found two synagogues in the same community. Get this. One was really ornate and beautiful, and the other one was less ornate and beautiful. You know what they said? The less ornate one was for the common workers. (laughs) So you kind of had two churches, like two synagogues, a really nice one for the muckety-mucks and an ordinary one for all of us folks who are, you know, like (laughs) us, you know. But what's going on? It's it's a place that she was called out of, and it was a place that she had come from. We're going to get more into why that matters in a moment. But she's from Magdala. The second thing we learn about Mary is that she was cleansed of seven demons. It said that the seven demons came out of her. It doesn't say they were driven out of her, by the way. We love those stories where, you know, Christ commands demons out. But somehow, in Mary's response, in Mary's, Mary of Magdala, in her response to Jesus, these demons came out of her. I have nothing more to add to that except what I know there, which is there were seven afflictions that she had. But then there's one more thing I want to point out from verse 3, the second part of verse 3, these women, the word says, were helping to support them, who? Jesus and his disciples, his apostles, out of their own means. Now I'm going to confess something about Mary Magdalene. I was preparing to do this Easter series for a few weeks, and I was excited, and I'm like, we're going to talk about real lives of real people who saw the resurrection, and I was like, and that, that Mary Magdalene, that, you know, she was a prostitute, and then she was cleansed by Jesus, and now she was born again. I was excited, you know, to tell her she's made new. And that is true if you were a prostitute. But guess what? Mary from Magdala was not a prostitute. That's actually an error of church history. I won't get into the details, but someone at some point said it was true, and a bunch of people believed it was true. And it was years later, goes, that's not the same Mary at all. Guess what? Mary of Magdala was a woman of means. You see, it says there at the verse 3, if you, if you look at it, it says that they cared for Jesus out of their own ability. And the word ability in the Greek means the previous things that God had given to them, they just began to give them back to Jesus in his ministry. When Jesus had interrupted their lives, they completely turned things around and they began to give from what they already had received. They began to give in the abundance that God had given them all this time. One way you could say this is, these women are grateful. And when you're grateful, you don't just say it, you show it. (laughs) You you begin to realize that you've been living in God's grace all this time, that that he has called you into his kingdom and you're part of his work, and you begin to demonstrate that by the behavior. Why am I hung up on this? Because what we see with Mary Magdalene after the resurrection is a miracle. It's a miracle of God. She demonstrated her gratitude for Jesus by how she lived her life for Jesus. And today's a great day to remember that Christ died for our sins and was raised to new life. And we can say, man, Jesus, isn't Jesus good for me? But the question I have this morning is, are we making our lives then about Jesus? Or do we have anything in the game for Jesus? He doesn't need us to. He can do anything he wants to do. But is there an outpouring from our heart for all he has done for us? We sing these songs, you've set us free from sin. We sing these songs about the new hope of a new life and a life forever. But in the life now, our lives now, are we demonstrating by what we already have? 
here's a question. What has God done for you in your life? Let me ask you this. How is God working your life right now, right in this moment? Many of us would say, uh, you know, well, God's done some things for me, but things aren't perfect, right? Or uh, God hasn't, I don't know, God hasn't done, some people would say he hasn't done much for me. It's been a pretty hard road, right? Do we see his grace upon us already? Listen, do we allow him to bring us out of those uh, ailments and those weaknesses into life? What has God done for you? I guarantee you he's working in your life right now. And perhaps more so if you don't even see it. If you're feeling like he's not around, God is working in our lives well, this is an interesting story about Mary then because we're gonna kind of go back to the resurrection story and finish here, right? But uh, Mary had been healed by Jesus. That's all we get is all three verses. But these seven demons had come out and she was giving to Jesus out of her own resources, caring for him. She had served Jesus faithfully in his ministry. And get this, she was there when Jesus was crucified. She had watched. That means that she had walked. We can... We can estimate that she had spent every day of her life since meeting Jesus in serving Jesus to the point that she was there mentioned with his mother when he's being crucified on the cross. She's mentioned by name as he's crucified. Now I want to go ahead and turn to John chapter 20 and you're going to hear again that that story you've heard so many times before but I hope we hear it fresh this morning again. Early on the first day of the week while it was yet dark. Check this out. John doesn't mention any other women except Mary Magdalene. There she is. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. I want to stop here for a second and talk about what Mary says to the, the disciples, to Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. Is In Mark, we hear they're going to anoint the body, right? In the Gospel of John, it says when Mary sees that Jesus ain't there, she runs back to Peter and she says what? They have taken my Lord, she doesn't say they've taken my Lord's body. They've taken my Lord, the person that I love. They've taken him, and we don't know where they've put him. So, she, so to me, that's a much more personal. She's, she's taken the word is my Lord there out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have placed him. By the way, she is admitting, see, we, there's more than her. But John just tells her story. Verse 3, so Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. This is a hilarious story. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And he bent over and looked inside at the strips of linen that were lying there, but he did not go in. Then, verse 6, Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded by itself, separate from the linens. Finally, the other disciple, who had arrived at the tomb first... (laughs) such a guy story also went inside he saw and believed they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had 
to rise from the dead. We've heard that story a bunch, right? These two disciples run to the tomb. One outruns the other. Then the other runs and doesn't even stop. Just goes straight in because it's Peter. And then the one sees and believes. It's all this kind of, comp- you feel the competition in that? You know, these are two dudes like telling the story. And the, the beloved disciple wrote this one. <laughs> so he tells the story from his perspective, right? And then I went in and I saw and believed, but we didn't know what we were really believing in right at that moment. We've heard that before, but check this out. Verse 10. Listen to the word. Then the disciples went back to their homes. 11. But Mary. (sighs) I mean, if you can't get excited about a faithful servant of God who goes first, goes back and gets some people, comes back with the people, they leave, and she's still hanging out. Verse 11. But Mary stood outside of the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she bent over to look inside the tomb. Isn't that interesting? And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body, there it is, had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? Here's, Here's where it says it. They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. You know, there's lots of appearances of angels in the Bible, right? Everyone's afraid all the time, afraid. Oh, I, what am, you know, they try to worship the angels. And Mary in this moment is so overwrought with the loss of her Lord, she says there, that she just responds. She's like, I don't know where they've put him. She's just having a normal conversation with them. But look at Mary's faithfulness. She's still standing there at the tomb, weeping. And in her distress and in her genuine love and care and and longing for for Jesus, I was going to say Christ, she sees a vision. She's given a vision from God. And they say, woman, why do you weep? Isn't it amazing that in her hardest day, in her darkest day, God chose to show Mary from Magdalene, from Magdala. I mean, how many times has this story been about everything else, right? And here's this enduring disciple, this enduring servant who, who longs for the Lord and won't go home, won't go home, but is waiting to see what's really happening, waiting to see where he's really gone well she's standing there so I take my Lord away I don't know where they've put him at this she turns around and she sees Jesus standing there so she's looking in the tomb she turns around and she sees Jesus but she does not realize it's Jesus verse 15 Jesus says woman why are you crying who is it you're looking for or who do you seek thinking he was the gardener She said, sir, the word is kodios, it means Lord, right? Lord, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Just hired help. Maybe you can help. Where's Jesus? I want him. And then a word. What's he say? Mary. One word, Jesus, 
calls her by name, Mary. The word says she turned around. It means that she twisted, you know. It's like a, it's like a violent motion. It's like when you snap back and you realize something's going on that you didn't even see the moment before. And in this moment, she snaps back toward him and she cries out, Rabboni, which means teacher. She has found her Lord her, her wishes have been fulfilled. She's gotten to see because here's the reality that for Mary, despite whatever had happened in her life, her story wasn't over yet. It wasn't the end. I think you could faithfully say, fairly say at any point in Mary's story, it could have been over and that would have been the end of her story with Jesus. But she continues to pursue him all the way to the tomb. Even after the disciples have left, she's still there. And she gets the blessing of the revelation of God, but then the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what it said about Mary? She's the first person to see the empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday. She's the first person to see the resurrected Lord in person on Resurrection Sunday. Jesus says to Mary, do not hold on to me because I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with this news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them all these things that had happened. Isn't that amazing? I have seen the Lord. Mary's testimony to them because her story was not over. It was not over. Mary in this moment gets the divine revelation of God that he had selected for her. I do not believe for a moment this is an accident of history. Matter of fact, much of history has been built upon the idea of trying to retell the narrative to where we're the favored one. You know, John says, I'm the beloved disciple. But there is a faithfulness demonstrated because, and I just want to tie it back here really well, it was not Mary in and of herself. It was what Jesus had done in her life that compelled her forward on a mission for God. That's what's driving her. It's, it's his healing touch. It's his caring intervention. It's the fact that he gave himself, and then she gets to see him raised to new life. The world would say, the story's over. Even the disciples would say, just go home. We'll figure this out later. But Mary gets to see him, gets to see him raised from the dead. This is not the end of her story, and it's not the end of your story either. Wherever you are in your life with Christ, your story is not over. And some of us can feel that way, right? Like, oh, it's so hard right now, or it's whatever. Your God is not done yet. He is not finished yet. Matter of fact, my favorite verse from uh, Easter is Acts 2.24. Peter, when he's professing the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he says this sentence, but God raised Jesus from the dead because it was impossible for death to hold him. Not possible. We sang that song, it kind of bugged me earlier, you know, death had his victory. No, death thought it had his victory. Satan thought he finally won, but the reality is it is not possible. The Greek there says, no way, no how can death hold Jesus. Some people would talk about the resurrection like, well, you know, do you have to believe that to be saved? Yeah, death can't hold him. He is not only 
fully man, but he is fully God. And death had no ability to keep Jesus down. And then the other verse I was going to share, which Dale shared, first thing, Romans 8, 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the indwelling spirit in you. That we are part of that proclamation that if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you are part of that Mary Magdalene faithfulness that he has saved you, that you might go and tell others about salvation, about Jesus, that you might say with your lips, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, he was raised from the dead, or vice versa. Do you know that Jesus was raised to new life to bring you hope. I'm as guilty as anybody of focusing so much on the, sub, the substitutionary death and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross to pay for all of our sins and the, the blood and the anointing and the covering that we get in Christ that I all too often miss that the resurrection was for our redemption, that the resurrection is for this life now. Do you know that he was raised to give you hope? And if you do know that, do you live a life of gratitude, a faithful life of gratitude, demonstrating the reality that Jesus is raised from the dead, that we partake in life with him? I hope that's something we can look for. Um, we're going to continue next week and look at another disciple and watch how they kind of walk through the resurrection story in a unique way. But I hope today that, that in our own stories we can see a model of faithfulness that we might ought to emulate ourselves, recognizing. I'm gonna invite you to pray with me if you would, and if you're here this morning and, and you've never believed on Jesus Christ for salvation, and, and it's Easter morning and you're here, but you've never actually trusted him, there's stuff in your life and you think, man, I just, but not that, that's too bad. I, I, I hope you will believe this morning, and I hope that, Lord, you will convince us in our hearts and in our souls that any sin, any transgression that we have been found guilty of is not uh, is paid for in the blood of Christ, that, that, you, that you sent your son to die, Father, that we might have unity with you forever and that we might cast off the sin that so easily entangles us and run our race of faithfulness with you. And Father, uh, for those who maybe right now are just praying that, that you know, you've forgiven our sin and we can walk with you, I pray that that walking would be a demonstrable faith of our belief, that we would show what we claim we believe. May we bring light in the dark places, Father. May you be the light that we bring. May, may we be the ones who would come and offer a word of hope in a, in a dark world, in a dark situation. And whenever that happens, Father, may you be glorified. We love you so much. We thank you for the chance we've had to explore, explore your word together and to hear the great faithful testimony of Jesus and his work in our lives. We thank you for all the models who've come before and we thank you for the saints that we live with right now that show us how we ought to be better followers, to follow more faithfully your son and our savior Jesus. And we pray, Father, that today as we leave this place on Easter Sunday that we would go out with the hope that does not disappoint, with the hope that is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We love you so much and we thank you for his gift to us. In, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.